0: Good day folks, this is Shane Hasty for the InfoQ Engineering Culture Podcast i'm at agile 2019 and sitting down with dave west again <laughs> <laughs> oh my god don't say that they'll leave <laughs> dave for those that don't know him is the chief product owner and yeah, CEO? ceo really i
1: don't know i'm the boss at scrum.org i guess yeah. do we say boss anymore is that not very agile oh no no well aren't we a self-organizing
0: <laughs> teams and all of that stuff i'm, a, I'm the chief servant
1: leader <laughs> <laughs> the biggest servant. I'm the butler of Scrum.org.
0: Cool. Dave, welcome. It's good to see you again. Oh,
1: it's always a pleasure, as you can tell, Shane.
0: What's happened in the agile world in the last year from your point of view? Okay, so 12 months. Gosh, seems,
1: God, it seems an age ago, doesn't it? I think there's been a few things that we continue to see at Scrum.org. Number one, I think we see it's more than just software organizations, more than just software teams. It's much broader than that. You know, recently, myself, some people from Forrester, and Avanad of all people started to put some podcasts together around marketing, Scrum for Marketing, because we're starting to see that, which is really really interesting and we've sort of built a little community starting to debate and discuss that. So number one is I think it's outside of just software teams. Now I would have probably said the same a a year ago. I think now it's actually getting some legs. I think we're seeing some real evidence of it. Obviously the complex engineering, you know, the likes of the SpaceX, the Teslas, they continue to work in a more agile way, whether that's Scrum or something else who the hell knows, but they're definitely inspecting, adapting, they're definitely driving empirical process, they're definitely putting down responsibility to the teams so we're starting to see that then manifest in other large engineering organisations you know, the likes of the BMWs the likes of the Toyotas, the, these companies are starting to realise the importance of delivering value to customers, really, and, and that's at the heart of it, you know, that we're seeing that which sort of brings me on to my second point which is really that The agile, the scope of agility is more than just delivering great product. It's delivering great product, getting great feedback. It's experimentation. It's building hypothesis The sort of lean startup is merging and IDO and lean UX and all that is sort of merging with this more agile movement. I mean, that's true of this particular conference. There's a track, the UX lean UX track. You know, obviously Jeff and Josh worked with Scrum.org to build the Professional Scrum with UX. You know, with that continues to be part and parcel of this emerging discipline that we can call it agile, we can call it new ways of working, and call it whatever you want. And then the third thing, and probably the sort of reinforces those first two points, is that the organizations like McKinsey, Boston Consulting, these kind of people are now really driving this agenda as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of people at this conference that might be skeptical of them or what do they know about Agile. For my interactions, they're really quick learners, they're incredibly smart people, and they're really taking their expertise in organizational change management and really those sort of business levers and really pushing that into the c-suites agenda which is then driving into some pretty substantial changes in organizations they of course call it new ways of working they don't want to call it agile either but that's what we're seeing so number one broader than just software product teams number two design thinking ux the customer is really becoming a fundamental part of it number three is it's being pushed into that C-level agenda in a more comprehensive, holistic way because of Channel, McKinsey, Boston Consulting, Accenture, those kind of organizations.
0: How do we prevent that being lipstick on a pig?
1: <laughs> that is a $64,000 question. I mean, what is clear is the only real way is to start looking at outcomes more effectively. And I see that you know these organizations wrestling with their current way of thinking about outcomes, you know, which is plan, budget, risk, to thinking more about value and customer. And as we transition to that, I think that that is really where we'll start to see real evidence that supports this kind of fundamental change. Because honestly, until you start changing that, it is lipstick on a pig. There's an economist that you know I love, Kalida Perez. I probably said her name awfully, so I apologize for anybody that's Venezuelan. I am English, therefore I destroy all foreign (laughs) words or anything that's not English. So Kalida writes around these ages of technological Change And and she says fundamentally there's very little that's going to change. Well, lots is going to change, but until access to capital changes, it is going to be lipstick on a pig. There's going to be this massive amount of friction. And so she talks a lot about, you know, and whether it's internal capital, like budgeting and planning and risk management of that, or whether it's external capital, which is VCs and banks and, and, you know, institutional investment. And until that changes, it's going to be very, very tricky. And that's why I'm so excited about organizations like the BCGs and the McKinsey's and the like and the Deloitte's and all. Because they have the relationships with the CFOs. They have that. And they can drive that beyond budgeting, that next generation of fiscal responsibility driving that. But then you have to look outside the organizations and the markets. The way in which capital is presented there starts getting really confusing as well. So will it be lipstick on a pig? Maybe. But you can still make your pig look really pretty.
0: Oh, right. So that's the state of Agile. What about the state of Scrum.org? What's been happening there? Well, it's exciting, actually.
1: I'm, you know, I mean, I'm always relatively excited because what I care about is... I see a world full of complex problems and I see the only way that you can solve those complex problems is by teams and teams of teams. So I'm super excited about the opportunity that Scrum.org has because Scrum is the predominant way in which teams are organized, even though they don't accept it Scrum, (laughs) which I'm cool with, you know, whatever you know there's many ways to heaven as they say but what's really exciting is that Scrum's being practiced by lots and lots of teams trying to solve these complex problems so you saw over the last year if we're talking in sort of 12 months you saw the Kanban stuff you saw the lean UX stuff you see that we continue to sort of build bridges to broader communities the leadership materials that we're bringing out and the ideas around that our relationship with Management 3.0 and some of their ideas have got fantastic practices and Yogan Apoloa and his team are just awesome and Trying to build these relationships and trying to build more of a consistent, systematic approach to solving complex problems. You know, the work of, you know, Dave Snowden and Kneffen and trying to bring some of that into our leadership curriculum. And I think these are the things that we're really excited about. Our community has grown. You know, there's almost 300 trainers now and training thousands of people every month, which is really, really cool. Our website has millions of people come to our website, which is both scary and, and awesome. So, we've got a platform to talk about some of this stuff. And what I'd like to see, you know, so the last 12 months has definitely been focused on trying to continue to drive this agenda of helping organizations teams and teams of teams solve complex problems and I'd like to see more of that I want to see over the next 12 months you know an improvement around our product ownership curriculum and the work you know maybe this is six months in the future so I can say this but there might be a new class and a refactoring of the assessments around this I want to see a better digital learning experience where we're really helping you after the class or after the assessment when you failed it (laughs) or hopefully past it, to pick up the right materials and the right ideas to take back to your organization. I want to build more community and improve facilitation techniques and improve coaching as you know, you and I are very passionate about that. And even though personally I'm useless at it and last thing I want to do is actually care about somebody else, I see the importance of this as we move to this different way of working. It's interesting, we did this work with McKinsey, I don't know if you, your listeners saw it, it was a while ago now, about six months ago, and we did multiple surveys, and we're looking at agile personalities, right? Mm-hmm. And we used the big five and sort of classical personality stuff, and we found interesting what Google had already found, which is very annoying, because you're like, damn it, I just invested all this time, and I could have just downloaded it off Google. But they, they found that one of the most important characteristics was agreeableness. And though that on its own, you're like, oh, we, we, you know, get walked over at parties or whatever, but more the ability to work with others, the yes and, not the yes but. And from one of my observations, and maybe this is just me, but I see when you've got a fantastic coach, you've got a fantastic scrum master, you've got somebody there that can help facilitate that, can pull the ego out, can create an environment that isn't competitive, that can deal with some of those elephants that are in the, you know, or, you know in your case, wombats or whatever, shade they're in the corner of the room, crocodiles if you're in Australia, I assume. If you can deal with those things, then you can really build a team that delivers value so much easier you know we get in our own way all the time and so if we can build an environment and we can continue to build that environment i'm really excited to do that so last year has been cool you know the ux the kanban the McKinsey stuff the leadership stuff we're going to continue to double down on that
0: i think it's an interesting time to be in scrum and in agile and building on that where are the gaps what's missing in the scrum and agile world
1: today there was definitely some things that are missing. I mean, you mentioned lipstick on a pig. Remember the Martin Fowler flaccid Scrum and all of this stuff years that was published. What he talked about was the fact that we weren't getting to done and that we weren't delivering frequently, so we weren't observing. And the practices around it was all a bit of a lie. We we're having sprint reviews that weren't effective because they weren't dealing with real stuff, that like tangible outcomes. I actually don't think that's the problem in most software teams now. I think we are delivering relatively well. I think our organizations aren't necessarily designed to accept that particularly effectively and I don't think we're necessarily delivering in the right place. We're not aligned in the right place. I think that there's a misalignment and I think that that's getting in the way. I also think that we need the access to capital, the way in which we manage work, the way in which we structure the projects and the like. You know, I'm not a big fan of projects. I believe in aligning teams to outcomes and to customers and keeping those teams as it makes sense to the organization align that you know so i think You're the are man after my own heart <laughs> yeah, well, hash right. no projects <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm not a big fan of projects uh, i mean you'll still need them as a sort of you know when you have got to move to renew this or whatever or somebody brings out gdpr or, or whatever but generally it's better to align it to customers and to outcomes and, and the like so i think the gaps are organizational alignment I think the, the gaps are the way in which we fund to those alignments. I think the gaps are the way which we think about risk. I mean, risk is a great example. let talk about the state of agility. We're seeing a lot of organizations today that insurance companies are moving into Agile, you know, sort of a massively. You see it at the conference, you know, you see, where do you work? Well, I work for a, you know, medium-sized insurance company in the middle of the country or, or whatever and what that means is that they unfortunately have a very risk averse culture the government's also the same you don't get fired for being late you get fired for doing things that are wrong you know and so we've got to think differently about risk as well so access to capital alignment risk management needs to change and then us as a discipline if that's such a thing i'm not sure agile is a discipline but the professionalism in our industry you know we talked earlier about coaching i think that's Really important. We've got a lot of people that call themselves agile coaches that haven't coached their way out of paper bag. You know, they they uh, did one of the Scrum Master classes last week or even worse 20 years ago and then we came back you know so yeah we see that a lot and so starting to build some professionalism in our industry is definitely something we need to do it's something that we have a series of experiments running at scrum.org that may or may not turn into something i'm not forecasting anything because it's hard when we actually look at the scrum master role or the product owner role or the developer role and you start really saying what makes a good one It's not easy. Um, You may even identify all the behaviors, but then how do you get there? The roadmap to getting there isn't really that predictable. It's a complex problem. So I'm hoping that some of those gaps around professionalism will get improved over the next years or so we're talking about the future stuff let's talk about the role of product ownership you know there's a real mess in the industry around product ownership you know Mm -hmm. you know obviously we've got people like safe god bless them who have separated the role into two you've got you know this sort of like chief product officer and etc i mean all of these are interesting ideas for scaling product ownership Mm -hmm. but bottom line is most organizations have an inability to sort of empower people to make decisions and the skills are really really hard i mean you've got to both know the business know the customer know the politics know technology if it's a technology product you're building it's really hard and how do we support you Where would you go for resources? You know, do you go and do an MBA? No, that wouldn't work. You go to pragmatic marketing, well, then you learn about product marketing and all that stuff, which is useful, but not for a non sort of like B2C or, you know, not a traditional shrink wrap product. So. Product ownership is really, really interesting. And I think something that we're going to wrestle with over the next few years, you know, talk about gaps. Mm -hmm. That's where the gaps all come together because you've got the lack of agility inside the organization, the lack of access to capital, the business doesn't really get it, they're risk averse. There's this very complex set of stakeholders. And you got, in the case of Scrum, we punt it to one person and say, hey, you're in charge. Uh,
0: And it's hard. It's a Mm -hmm. really tricky job. There's certainly been a lot of pushback. For instance, the product management community. There's a talk that got a lot of coverage. Agile has destroyed product management. The product owner role waters down product management. How do we tackle that?
1: I know. If you go to, um, you know, mind the product or any of these yeah. fabulous conferences full of great stuff, and you say, hey, I'm a Scrum guy, you'll get booed off the stage or laughed off the stage. Or at best, they will just won't listen to you. And that's unfortunate. So the original title in Scrum was Agile Product Manager. That was the original title. It got changed to product owner to sort of emphasize that teams don't do very well when they're continuously changing priorities. And in a lot of organizations, there's a lot of people that have got opinions, right? So there's a lot of priorities and nobody likes to say no. (laughs) So everybody says yes, and then it ends up in a bit of a mess. And it all comes down to this team in, you know, 25 years ago, predominantly building software and all these priorities are falling on them. And they're like, oh, my God. So the product owner is empowered, the only person that can tell the team what to do, right? That's the bottom line. So that, that's the emphasis of the thing. Now, unfortunately, though, what does that mean? Does that mean that's the only person that knows what the hell's going on? Oh, no, no, that's it. Is it the only person that can talk to customers? Oh, God, no, that would be a disaster. Is it the only person that's got an opinion? No, it's the person that makes the ultimate call on what's in this particular sprint. So that in an ideal situation, the worst you'll get is two weeks of work that you don't like. Sprint review comes, all those stakeholders get into a room with the product owner. It's a facilitated discussion. Hopefully, you're seeing an increment, a product increment that is based on something that, you know, a goal, hopefully, that's actually being used by customers, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the problem is that to do that effectively, to make those decisions is hard. To make that decision about what's in and what's out is hard. To facilitate that discussion with stakeholders is hard. And now product ownership has got all this data around it. You can do all this analytics. You can see who's using it. You've got all these fabulous metrics. That's all groovy. So the question is, how do we help these people? You can't blame Agile and Scrum for this. There hasn't historically been a great community around product management. Yes, you've got pragmatic marketing with their very complex model, but that's predominantly commercial product management, you know, about pricing and things like that. It doesn't tell you how to help work with stakeholders. It doesn't tell you how to plan priorities. It doesn't tell you all of those things. There's a lot of work to be done. One of the things, the reason why we worked with Jeff and Josh and the Lean UX stuff is because they actually have some very tangible practices for helping the product owner and the team for making better decisions about priorities about value about flow um, of value and, and things like that you know empathy mapping stuff like that personas how many scrum teams and i'm just picking scrum but i'm sure agile teams how many scrum teams have you gone into and they have no picture of the customer on the wall the persona. And, and we the, know it's a great practice. It's a fantastic practice. It's a fantastic practice for so many reasons. Number one, and I wrote a blog about this, but uh, number one is it reminds everybody at every daily and at every sprint review and at every planning session why they're doing it, number one. Number two, when people come in that aren't part of the team, they know who you're serving, which is great because they say interesting things like, oh, hey, well, I didn't know you were doing that. Who's... Oh, no, I thought Bob's team's doing that or Jim's team. Oh, you're doing that. Oh, so it instantly creates this thing. And thirdly, it motivates, right? Because, you know, we learned from Dan Pink, you know, surprising truth what motivates us. Fabulous TED talk. Uh, Much kudos to Spink, though. I think he's got into more salesy stuff now. But love that. Loved it. It was awesome. Um, Autonomy, mastery, purpose. Now, purpose is crucial, right? Purpose. Nothing better than knowing a person. I remember I was at a customer, I was, I was doing a talk, you know, one of these, I do this thing where I potter around the world. And I talk at the start of, like, kick off to Agile, you know. So you get r- people in a room and they're like, oh, and I come in and do my motivational thing. The person in front of me, so we're talking to a pharmaceutical company, the person in front of me suffered from the illness that this is pharma- one of their primary drugs that they sell. Can you imagine? She gave this amazing talk about the value of the products that they were providing. That was the best purpose. You know, talk about a persona. Talk about, it was a customer advocate, having that persona, understanding her pain. And they have this portal that they provide for their customers and patients and doctors, and it's safe and secure, and you have to be nominated and all that kind of crap. Anyway, it's really good. It's like Facebook for ill people or for this particular ill type of person. Anyway, and we're talking about the value that that provided to create community and to give support when you're all alone, sick, maybe dying. And it's just like awesome. So personas and customers are crucial. Everybody's responsibility. So bringing that into the product owner role, giving them some ability to do have metrics that actually makes sense. Instead so these motion metrics of velocity and progress and on time and all that crap. Giving them techniques to help them, you know, canvases to help them understand the value of their product in the context of a broader product. Giving them tools like flow. You know, that's what we need to do for product owners. So I think that the future, we really need to do that because they're the... Whether they call them a product manager, whether you call them a product owner, whether you call them business, whatever, I don't care. But they're the place where the pains really sort of manifest itself. And that's all about alignment as well. If you can find a clear alignment, get somebody to drive that, you know, be that entrepreneur driving it and get them to inspire their teams with personas, etc., and a clear north mission or set of goals, then you can change the world. Because you can. I mean, it's clear. So, yeah, so that's an interesting little bit of future stuff that I think is super,
0: super important. So to round us off, advice for technical leaders. Oh, gosh, that's a tricky one, isn't it? I mean, you know, drink
1: more. No, um, no, 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 I'm not advising that, obviously. Meditation helps, I hear, though I can't manage it myself, as you can imagine. Exercise is good. No, I think the things that are so important for a technical leader are going back to that alignment thing, finding and defining, trying to get a clear idea of what your teams and teams of teams are focused on, getting an idea of the outcomes that they're seeking, define that goal, build that vision. I think number one, that's super, super important. I think number two is stop having all the answers and start asking some questions you know I'm awful at this and I apologize you know my grandma used to say and I think I've said this before to you Shane is two ears one mouth use them in that percentage I obviously ignored her but the sentiment is and we found this from the McKinsey work that you know trying to listen trying to ask questions you know talk to understand don't talk to win You know, those sort of things are are super important. I know it sounds hippie, and I apologize for sounding like a crunchy hippie. there's nothing wrong with hippies or crunchiness, but, you know, some people don't like that. What I mean is that, you know, to solve these complex problems, it's about people, right? Super smart people working together. And it's super hard, (laughs) because super smart people have often competed to become successful and become smart. And they've got this sort of culture of not really listening. They've got this culture of really being listened to. And that's hard to change. You know, we know the most complex problems in the world. The earth has a lot of those, right? Not overpopulation. We've got climate change. We've got all these things happening in the world. And we can fix every single one. If we get amazing groups of people to work together and those groups are diverse and we need to listen to them all and build up these amazing solutions. So listen more, I think, is super, super important. Have a clear vision is super, super important. And then build metrics and measures that can reinforce those two things in some way. The other thing is build an organization around you that is ultimately kind, And I know in this world, we're not necessarily good at this. And as a Brit, I'm often a little bit sarcastic. But build an environment that's very supportive. And ask your team every day, who have you helped? How have you helped somebody get better today? Because if you do, and you can change the culture of that so that everybody's helping everybody get better, and everybody's sharing their ideas and their information in a kind and constructive way, and that's being measured and rewarded, and we're moving towards a clear set of goals, then whether it's Agile or Kanban or Lean Flow or Kinefen or whatever, it doesn't really matter because we'll deliver massive amounts of value and we'll build an environment that we're proud to be part of.
0: Dave, thanks very much. As always, a pleasure to talk to you and listen to you. Yeah, yeah. listen,
1: you see. I notice. And that's my problem. I no. do apologize. I'm not necessarily good at no. some no.
0: of this stuff, Shane. But <laughs> in the podcast, we want to hear your voice, not mine. <laughs> so if people want to continue the conversation, where do they find you? I mean, always Dave.West at Scrum.org is
1: also awesome. David J. West at Twitter, which is apparently is quite popular now, this platform. And then, of course, Scrum.org, um, www.scrum.org, and see what we're talking about.
0: Thanks so much. Thanks Shane.